CMSF, the annual conference of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, brings together a mix of local and international speakers to discuss the most pertinent topics of Australia's $2.7 trillion superannuation sector. Join a host of AIST personalities in this podcast series as we sit down with some of the key speakers from the 2019 conference to give you an overview of their expertise and insight on some of the biggest topics to be discussed at this year's conference. This is Jeff Wallens here from AIST, and I have the uh, the pleasure of introducing Dr. Sally Ald, who is a Chief Economist with JP Morgan. Thank you very much for joining us, Sally. Great. Well, I've got a big topic to talk about today, which is um, uh, basically what's happening in the economy at the moment, so we could talk all day, but I might just kick off with uh, getting you to have a chat about some uh, market impacts at the moment and uh, how Australia is looking and what are some key influences on our market at the moment. Sure. So I think, you know, one big influence on markets at the moment is what central banks are doing. And probably the most significant development this year has been um, the very sharp shift from the Federal Reserve, who, you know, as recently as, um, you know, the back half of last year were telling us that, you know, they were going to continue to normalise rates, hike rates once a quarter. That was pretty much the plan for 2018 and 19. And then in January, um, they had a very, very abrupt shift in tone and said that I thought that policy was close enough to neutral, that there were good reasons to be patient, to be a little bit more cautious, and you know, really slow down the process of policy normalisation. Um, and I actually think that's, you know, in our view at JP Morgan, that is wasn't just the Fed taking fright with the way markets were performing in the fourth quarter of last year. It's actually a more, far more significant regime change in the way the Fed manages its inflation target. So I think that's one very influential thing going on at the moment. The second one, and we picked this up in conversations with investors, was you know really over the course of 2018, there was a lot of anxiety around where we were in the economic cycle. So people were starting to fret that we were getting close to the end of it, the expansion, that you know, a recession was sort of around the corner, maybe a story for the back half of 2019. And so sort of questions they were asking is how should we structure our portfolio? Should we be starting to shift away from risky assets into more defensive holdings? And I think those conversations in light of the Fed have actually now shifted. People are a little bit more willing to entertain a world where if the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive or maybe risky assets can continue their good performance and you know, we have reason to be sort of generally optimistic on the way markets will play out. So I think that's that's sort of the second issue that's interesting at the moment. And the third one, I suppose, is just, um, you know, geopolitics, which is always something that lurks in the background um, for financial markets, but can sort of come to the fore pretty rapidly. And I suppose, you know, that, that would cover everything from Brexit to um, US-China trade negotiations. Um, and I guess our sense is that, you know, we are moving towards a more constructive solution there, which will be good, we think, for overall sentiment globally, um, but potentially could could not necessarily be so good for some of the big commodity exporters to, to China. So, for example, a part of that agree- agreement between the US and China is that China agrees to buy, say, for example, all its LNG from the US, then that may well come at the expense of Australian LNG exports to China, or it could be a similar story around, you know, oil 
exports from Malaysia to China, Malaysia might suffer if China decides that it's going to buy more oil from the US. So, you know, in, in a big picture sense, that's a good thing that the US and, and China can resolve their differences. But I think we should also be cognizant that you know, not everyone will necessarily be a winner. Now, recently here in Australia, interest rates were put on hold. Mm-hmm. What was your interpretation of that? Yeah, so, I mean, you would put the RBA um, also in the camp of a central bank who's made a pretty significant shift in its policy bias in the last couple of months. So, you know, they spent much of 2017 and 2018 telling us a narrative that while inflation was a little bit low relative to where they would like it, they were still pretty optimistic on growth. They still saw the unemployment rate coming down. And because of all of that, eventually the next move in rates would be up. Might be some time away, but they were pretty comfortable in saying publicly that they thought the next move would be up. Um, They shifted away from that in February um, in a speech the governor gave the day after they left rates on hold. He said, well, you know, maybe the probabilities are a little bit more balanced. And and when we think about the outlook, you know, maybe there's a 50% chance rates go up. Maybe there's a 50% chance rates go down. And that was a very significant move um, from the central bank here. So our view at JP Morgan is that rates will go down, um, probably not till the third quarter of this year, another 50 basis points, which will take the cash rate to to 1%. But it's very clear that growth slowed abruptly in the back half of last year. doesn't feel like growth is picking up so far this year. And I think that's going to leave the RBA um, probably having to accept that they can no longer tell a story about the unemployment rate going down when economic growth is slowed. And the only way that that becomes a convincing narrative again is if they provide some stimulus to mm-hmm. the economy. Now, Theresa May almost lost her voice in Parliament recently, and I wonder if that's a bit of a sign of um, mm-hmm. how things are going for her. So could you just uh, maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts of how Brexit is going? Yeah. So <laughs> she's lost her voice, she's lost a couple of big votes, so it hasn't been a good week for her. But, you know, effectively our view on Brexit is that... Um, The next vote that Parliament will have is to to vote on whether they would like to extend um, or ask the EU for for an extension, and we think Parliament will pass that. Um, Now, our best guess is that they'll ask for a reasonably limited extension, so a matter of months as opposed to, you know, one or two years, and then it becomes up to the EU to actually say, yes, that's fine. Um, And then we think... You know, well, our working assumption is that in that next couple of months, the deal will be passed. And the reason why we think the deal will be passed is because, very simple really, which is that there is sort of no other appealing alternative um, in the sense that, you know, clearly Parliament doesn't want a Brexit with no deal or a hard Brexit. And the only other alternatives really beyond that are to stay, um, which would not be true to the outcome of the referendum, to have a a second referendum um, or to have a general election. Um, and so while our, our economists in the UK have shifted their probabilities around some of those things, so a little bit of an increase in, in chance of another referendum or, or a general election, I mean, our sort of central case view remains, r- remains that Brexit will happen, that Parliament will accept the deal, and it's just really a matter of, of time. The one wild card in all of this is that um, particularly with this morning's vote, it did feel like you know May had cabinet ministers who didn't vote in favour, and so the wild card at all of this would be: well, what if she lost her role as um, prime minister? You had maybe one of the Brexiteers who took over, and and that could sort of shift the dynamic. So that's something that you know is in the back of our minds that 
that could happen as well. But it, you know, it's, it's very difficult and we could talk all day and you'll probably not come up with any firm conclusions on it. I think the more interesting story is, you know, the UK economy has slowed a lot in the last sort of six months particularly. So that does tell you that there has been a, you know, a negative economic impact of all of this in terms of uncertainty for firms. Um, there have been some headlines about big firms moving out of the UK um, and so that, that will present policymakers with an additional challenge, which is that you, know, you probably want to resolve this sooner rather than later because you know, generally uncertainty is not good for economies. Mm-hmm. So still with, with uh, Brexit and certain mm-hmm. things in the UK, so I guess a lot of people here in Australia would be watching that maybe just out of general interest or maybe because they hold a European passport, mm-hmm. uh, they have uh, family back there. What do you think could be some, some, uh, some hard and fast impacts for Australians with their superannuation here in terms of, of Brexit itself? So something possibly even specific you can think of in terms of some impacts on markets or even some individual companies that might be affected? You, you mentioned some might be looking at moving uh, based on what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, unless your, you know, your your super fund has sort of large exposure to um, unhedged you know, UK assets, that's clearly an issue, you know, because the currency, you know, could potentially move a lot one way or the other, depending on what sort of outcome we got. So, you know, it's very difficult to know in a in a hard Brexit where they leave without a deal, um, you know, what the currency would do, but. I think you know we're pretty comfortable with saying you could easily see sort of five ten percent decline in in the value of the UK currency. So that that would not be good if you had a you know an exposure to that that wasn't hedged. But beyond that, um, it feels to me more like the, the impact of Brexit is is probably more localized. Um, now, a hard Brexit would be I think a shock for markets, and so you'd probably see a, a risk off move, but. I'm not sure that that would sustain as people sort of thought through, well, does it really matter for, you know, equity markets in the US if the UK leaves without a deal? So right here and now, I would sort of say, you know, Australian super funds are probably reasonably well insulated from the ramifications of Brexit, assuming they don't have, you know, large exposure to UK assets that isn't currency hedged. So obviously, and we obviously have great access to extremely Mm -hmm. diversified investments Mm -hmm. as individual yeah. Superannuants, yep, that's right, yeah. And we've, we've had this interesting uh, situation globally recently with Boeing planes being taken out of the air following a couple of nasty crashes uh, that have taken place. Can you maybe talk a little bit about um, how something like that that can be extremely localised, for example, a plane coming down in Ethiopia, how that can spread globally so quickly and just the, what, what a reaction could be here in Australia uh, economically to something like that. Yeah, so I guess I mean the obvious one is you, know, you start with Boeing's share price, which has obviously fallen since since that happened, and now in you know most most jurisdictions, I think those planes have been ba- banned from airspace. So, as I understand it, you know I don't think there are a lot of them in Australia. A lot of those that particular make of aeroplane, and so doesn't feel like you know the aviation industry is sort of going to seize up locally on on the back of that but you could certainly see a scenario where you know you could have issues with supply chains you know for some economies that rely very very heavily on tourism this could be you know an issue if you know decent chunks of you know an airline are, are grounded so um you know you're right there's sort of it's a localized incident and horrible for the people on the ground but these things can have global ramifications if they're big enough. But my sense would be that in the overall scheme of things, I think this will be reasonably 
well contained, mm-hmm. probably yeah. not too much to worry about. Great. Okay, we haven't got a lot longer, but uh, Donald Trump has been uh, on everyone's lips, whether you're a comedian or whether you're uh, a market commentator, a political commentator. Uh, well, what sort of thoughts do you have or, or would uh, would you be representing in terms of the Trump administration and, and how maybe markets are looking in terms of his impact on, on things going forward? Yeah, so it's an interesting one in the sense that, um, you know, typically as an economist, you sort of take the political backdrop as, as given and, um, you know, if it changes significantly, then only do you really sort of change your forecast. So I think the, the US-China trade tariffs is a really interesting sort of prism to think about this story because as economists, you know, at JP Morgan, when our guys sort of put through the tariff changes that Trump announced and sort of hit F9 on their spreadsheets, you don't get much, nothing much moves that much. It wasn't like we were making big downward revisions to growth in China. We weren't lifting um, inflation forecasts by a great deal in the US. So the sort of net effect of all of that on our actual macroeconomic forecasts was pretty minimal. And that might be because our models are just not very good at capturing this because it's been a long time since we've had anything that resembles a trade war. But we're always very mindful of the fact that it might not happen through the direct channels. It might happen far more indirectly if global business sentiment gets affected and that could impact firms' decisions around capex spend or hiring. And with the benefit of hindsight, it feels like that's exactly what happened in the fourth quarter um, where we saw quite a downshift in firms' sort of confidence globally um, and quite a considerable downshift in firms' capex spend, and that has impacted, you know, economies, particularly in the region, particularly in Asia. So, you know, as, as an economist or a forecaster, you can really never predict any of these things, but I think, you know, we learned that these sort of changes are quite significant from a sentiment perspective, and that can sort of have sort of far-reaching effects on economies that you might have thought might not have been affected by, you know, US-China Relations, But I think more broadly, our view is that you know, something has definitely shifted in that relationship between the US and China, probably not for the better, and we're not, we won't be going back um, anytime soon. And so as much noise as there is around Trump and what he says about China, what's also really interesting is the amount of bipartisan support for what he's doing. So you haven't really heard a Democrat anywhere who's put their hand up and said, oh, I don't really think you should do that. Um, everyone pretty much agrees that this has been a good thing in terms of you know, perhaps getting that relationship onto a more even footing. Mm. Um, and in terms of his economic policies, I think we felt like fiscal stimulus was probably the last thing the US economy needed when it was already growing well above trend. And I think we're sort of feeling the hangover from that now, which is that we had this sort of amazing spurt of 3 4% growth through the middle of last year, which is exactly the sort of numbers Trump wanted. But that's come off quite quickly and growth has sort of now downshifted to a sort of one and a half, two 2% run rate. So... Um, you know, I, we'll see what happens, but it, it feels like, you know, with a lot of Trump, some things are significant, some things are not so significant, and the trick as a forecaster is trying to work out, you know, which is which. Right. And just lastly, um, we've talked about some of the political things and, and, and recession uh, up until now. Your, your thoughts on a change of government, if, if that does happen? Yeah, it feels... Year? It's likely to happen, mm. um, though you know, if the polls are telling you the right story, and I guess they've been telling a consistent story you know, for some time now, and I guess a lot of the clients we talk to, you know, that, that's their working assumption, that we do have a change of government here. And it is interesting because you know, we obviously have elections every sort of three to four years in Australia, and I would say there's 
you know, in all the years I've been doing this job, this election has generated the most questions from investors. And so you think about, well, why is that? Like, why do people care about this election relative to the ones we've had in the past? And I think it's because they feel like for the first time in a long time, there's probably a very distinct difference between the economic policies of the current government and the economic policies of the opposition. And so investors are sensing that, well, this could make a difference to economic performance, could make a difference to financial markets. And so maybe we should we should pay attention. So, you know, my, my sort of sense is that, you know, I do think um, if we have a change of government, we'll probably have a government who is more keen to pursue redistributive policy, whether that's from high-income earners to low-income earners or whether that's from capital to, to labour. Um, but it feels to me like that's... And that will be quite a distinct shift, um, you know, for the Australian economy if that happens. Great. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for your time and for Thank your you. insight. And hopefully anyone who's dialled in to have a listen to this will find that extremely helpful. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen to our other interviews with key speakers from CMSF 2019. You can find out more on our upcoming events program by heading to aist.asn.au forward slash events. See you next time.